We'll uh, turn back to the, the passage that we read in 2 Corinthians and chapter 1. And just to help us focus, I uh, want us to read again at verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us uh, to the glory of God. There was a bit of uh, upset in in my uh, household last week because... Uh, our youngest uh, child, who's what, 13, 14, uh, second year in school, he, he came home from school and he, he wasn't very pleased. And the reason he wasn't very pleased is because he had been given a demerit by one of the teachers. Now, that was bad enough. It's the first in his school career to be given a demerit. But... What aggrieved him most was that he felt it had been given unjustly. That he was at a table where there was a couple of pupils that were speaking and the teacher had given the whole table a demerit. And he felt that this was unfair. That he had been criticised, that he had been picked on unfairly by the teacher. Well, that's what he's telling us anyway. But it's not nice being criticised, especially if you feel it is unnecessary or especially if you feel it is unjust. Paul was being criticised. He was a man under attack. He's been criticised by the church in Corinth. And he feels that he is being misrepresented And he's being misunderstood. And he's addressing this kind of situation. You see, the folk in Corinth had hoped to to see the apostle as he travelled to and from uh, Macedonia. But he had informed them that this wasn't going to happen. And as a result of that, they began to think all sorts of things about him. They began to say all sorts of things about him. And it became quite kind of pointed, painful, personal. And Paul wants to to kind of clear the air a bit. He wants to explain how this situation arose. He wants to remove uh, the misunderstanding. And you get a a kind of insight into the kind of uh, relationship And the love that the Apostle had uh, for the church uh, in Corinth. He says, now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world. And especially in our relations with you. In the holiness and the sincerity that uh, are from God. He goes on to, to say, we have done so. Not according to worldly wisdom, but according to God's grace. For we don't write to you anything that cannot be read or understood. I hope that as you have understood us in part, we will come to understand fully so that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day 
of the Lord Jesus. There's this beautiful picture that he's creating there. And he's saying, this is the way we kind of think about you and feel about you. We look forward to the day where you and we will be standing before Christ and you will be in that healthy and good and holy way proud of us and we in that good and healthy and holy way will be proud of you. <coughs> but as he is responding to them like this, he, we find that we, we, we get teaching. Teaching as we always do in these kind of uh, contexts about the gospel. The gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want us in this passage to, to perhaps just look at four things in, in particular uh, with reference to the gospel. The first thing we're going to look at is gospel planning. And then we're going to look at gospel positivity. And then we're going to look at gospel promises. And then finally at gospel uh, prayer. First of all then gospel planning. Paul was always a man with a plan. His missionary uh, journeys were not uh, just haphazard. Uh, he didn't go off and literally go as the wind would take him and see uh, how it went. He was always very strategic in what he was doing. And he describes in, in detail to the church in Corinth what his plans were when it came to this particular missionary trip that he was going on. He said, I plan to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I plan to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. So he's saying that was the plan. And when you look at the Apostle's plan, I think there's two things in particular that stand out about it. First of all, there's a man who, who embarked on focused planning. It was something he did seriously. He speaks about how they did it with much thought. Not something they did lightly, with much thought. He says that he did it sincerely. And again, he's using this, speaking about that kind of uh, holiness and sincerity that it uh, was from God. He says, indeed, that's the way we always dealt with you and with all our planning. It was always with, if you like, the best of intentions and with your good in view. And hence he speaks about it being selflessly done. He, he speaks about their loving intention. He says, I was planning this so that you might benefit twice. I was going to come this way to see you once and then I was going to do some other work and then I was going to come back the same way in the hope that you would benefit twice from me being with you and ministering to you. And he speaks about the planning being done spiritually. Again, he says, we don't do these things in a worldly manner or with worldly wisdom, both in verse 12 and verse 17. He's speaking about being guided by God's grace and by God's spirit. So he's saying it's focused planning that we had, taking it seriously, sincerely, selflessly, and uh, spiritually. But they also had what we could call flexible planning. Whatever plans were made, they were never set in stone. Rather, they were subject to change, recognising that there may be twists and turns along the way. So the plans were always under 
review. And just as well, because here, uh, Paul saying this was our stated plan, this was our development plan, if you like, that was written down on paper, but we had to change things. Because the pastoral needs had changed. I call God as my witness that it was not in order to that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over you with faith, but uh, to work with you for your joy because of faith and so on. So he's saying circumstances had changed pastorally, that meant that it probably wasn't the best idea for him to come to them at that stage. But also there was changing circumstances. Again, we don't have time, but you can refer back to Acts twenty. There had been. The, the riot in Ephesus that had been the plot for his life in Greece. Things had changed. Circumstances had changed. And therefore, his plans also had to change. So yes, he's focused in his planning, but there had to be written into it a measure of flexibility that allowed him to change according to changing needs and changing circumstances. For ourselves, whether it be here in Cote Bridge or whether it be in Portree or whether it was in Govan where I was in the morning, there's always the need to plan. Not just to do things in a haphazard way. Not just to go as the wind takes us. But to plan. I'm sure there's a presbytery plan. I'm not sure if there is, but I'm sure there probably is. As a congregation, you have a plan. You have the plan, a building project in the same way that we have in Portree, you probably have other plans of things that you want to get done. How do you make these plans? Well, you have to be focused. You have to do it seriously, sincerely, with good intention, selflessly, uh, for the good and the benefit of others, spiritually. It's something you do prayerfully before God and before the Word. But it's also something that needs to be flexible. You know that things can change. Changes it can take place in people's needs. Things can take place. Uh, changes can take place in circumstances and therefore you need to have that flexibility to change. But there always has to be gospel planning. The second thing that we see here with the apostle is what we'll call gospel positivity. The Corinthians were being very negative about the apostle Paul. And to be fair, part of their negativity was because of the disappointment that they were feeling in their hearts, which stemmed from the love that they had for uh, the apostle and their desire uh, to see him. But their kind of disappointment had gone too far. It had turned into almost bitterness and resentment. You see, to them it appeared as if uh, his planning was a bit of a joke. He said he was coming... And then he wasn't. And then he was. And then he wasn't. And the message that they were receiving from him, if you like, uh, about his intentions seemed rather kind of confused and conflicting and disappointing. They were kind of inconsistent. And they started equating, in some ways, the man with the message. As if they're saying, well, you know, if... He, in his planning, is confused and conflicting and disappointing and inconsistent. Is it the case that his gospel message is the same? That it too is confused and conflicting and disappointing and inconsistent. And it's that accusation that is primarily concerning the Apostle Paul. He's not really that bothered about what they think of him. 
What he's concerned about is what they think of his gospel. That's what he's concerned about. And he writes to them and says, I know, I know my travel plans have had to change. But my gospel message has not changed. I know that when it came to to coming to visit you, I said yes and then no and then yes and then no. But for the gospel message, it is consistently yes. It is always yes, he's saying. He says, the message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by me and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. In that sense, he he is saying that the message has always been clear. It's always been about the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Even in his previous letter, if you remember, in 1 Corinthians, he said, you know, when I came to preach, I came, you know, I was terrified. I came with fear and trembling. But I was, I didn't come with fancy words and stuff, but there was one thing I was determined about. One thing I was resolved in my own heart and head is that I would know nothing among you save Christ and him crucified. That's the only thing. And it wasn't confused and it wasn't unclear and it was always consistent Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not only was it clear, he said, it was positive. There was nothing negative in the preaching. That the gospel campaign always came with a very big yes. Is there forgiveness? Yes. Is there acceptance in Christ? Yes. Is there salvation? Yes. Is there hope? Yes. Can I be right with God? Yes. Is this for anyone and everyone? Yes. It was always very positive. Clear and positive and consistent. There was never conflicting in any way. So it didn't matter where Paul, if it was Paul that came, Paul was saying yes. Or if Silas came, he was saying yes. Or if Timothy came, he was saying yes. He is saying there is this constant uh, message where it's saying it is a yes from God. And I hope that that is something that you're aware of uh, as you read the gospel, as you hear the gospel, that it is good news. It's a yes from God when it comes to forgiveness and salvation and hope. It is a yes from God when it comes to acceptance of you as you come to him and the receiving of your prayers and the receiving of yourself. It is always a yes from God. So it doesn't matter whether it be, I don't know who we'll give the titles to, whether it's the Apostle Paul there or whether it's uh, Silas or Timothy here. It doesn't matter. It's always a yes from God as you hear the gospel being preached. The third thing that we see here is the gospel uh, promises. Now, Paul may have uh, stated his intended uh, plans and the people in Corinth may have felt that they had... uh, he had let them down a bit in not fulfilling these plans. And the apostle is saying, I kind of get that. I understand that, that you feel I've let you down, that I've not fulfilled my word. But he's saying, God's plans are different. When we have gospel planning, we always have to put in a kind of measure of flexibility according to the changing circumstances, according to the changing needs and so on. But with God's plans, that's not the way they work. God has a determined purpose and he has a perfect plan. 
And attached to that purpose and plan, he gives these absolute cast-iron promises. And here the apostle is saying, no matter how many promises God has made, they're all yes and they're amen in Christ Jesus. He says that when you look at Jesus, you're seeing the person who fulfills all the promises of God. More than that, you're seeing the one who secures all the promises of God. Through his death and dying on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, through his exaltation into glory, he puts all his enemies, if you like, under his feet and he secures victory for the people of God. He is securing God's purpose and plan for his people. And he delivers all the promises of God. He puts his spirit into our lives so that we experience something of that salvation and the sweetness of it and the the beauty of it. Indeed, he sets his seal of ownership on us and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. This is fantastic because we're being told that we do not have a yes and no God. We don't have a God of good intentions We don't have a God of changing plans and purpose. We have a God who fulfills and a God who secures and a God who delivers all his promises in Christ Jesus. We have a God who constantly, consistently says yes and promises to us the deliverance of salvation through his son Jesus. Which brings us on, watching the clock here, but brings us on to our final point, and that is gospel praying. As Paul is telling them about this God and this positive gospel and the promises that come through Jesus Christ, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they're yes in Christ, and so, and so, through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Here, the apostle, I believe, is uh, talking about the practice of the church to say amen, perhaps at the end of prayer or perhaps even at the end of some kind of statement or message that was being uh, preached. I think it's true to say that in our own kind of uh, culture and context, often we see amen as a kind of punctuation mark. It's almost like the full stop at the end of a prayer. You know, and so we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's like saying the end. But it's much more than that. Amen is a word that really just means yes. And it's almost like, I don't know, some of the young ones here, you, you know what it's like when you're playing football or whatever else and, you know, maybe you score a goal or maybe you're watching the football. I might not mention football this week. Uh, depending on who you support and who you follow, you'll either be in the clouds or else you're in the depth. But you're the sort of thing where somebody sort of scores on you go, yes! That's really what amen is. Is the people of God going, yes! In that kind of really emphatic way. It, it, it is something that, um, I'm not sure if you've heard of a man, John Piper, I'm sure some of you have. But when he looks at this particular verse in the Bible, he says, Do you know, here are invaluable lessons about prayer.
Because what we learn about prayer from this is very, very important. The promises, they are yes in Christ and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. It tells us that prayer is always through Jesus Christ. It's only through him do we receive a yes as we approach God. If you like, you know, when we go to, to God in any other way or in any other name, then what you've got is a door that is locked and it's bolted and double bolted. But if you go in the name of Jesus, then it's a yes from God and the door is open and he receives you and he hears your prayer. So you pray through Jesus Christ. Prayer is always for the glory of God. Again, that's what's been stressed here. You know, often when we go to pray, we're often thinking about ourselves and our needs and our wants and our situations and so on. But ultimately, prayer is meant to be for the glory of God. When Jesus taught us to pray, do you remember how it began? Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It begins just thinking about God and about his name and his will and his kingdom. That was the priority in prayer. So when we pray, we pray through Jesus. We're praying for the glory of God. And prayer also takes hold of the promises of God. When we go dear to God in prayer, we are to draw from the account of God's promises, recognising that they're all cast iron in Christ and they're unchanging. I confess when, when I had left home, uh, um, when I was, I was brought up in Sky, and I came down to Glasgow to study, and it was a time when I suppose you began to question things and you began to wonder about things more than you had perhaps beforehand. And I remember going into my halls of residence thinking I was going to give up on all this kind of religious nonsense and beginning to wonder if things were true. And I picked up my Bible for whatever reason. I picked up the Bible, started reading through the Gospel of Luke, came to the point where it said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. And I thought, well, if God is there and if God is true, he must fulfill this promise and so I'll test it and that's what I did and life has never been the same since you go to God with his promises because they're cast iron in Christ you say you have promised if I ask I'll receive if I seek I'll find if I knock the door will be open you bring the promises and you plead them before God because he is a God who is faithful to his promises and a God who cannot lie I must put in a wee disclaimer there. You understand, I, I know you'll understand. That does not mean that you go and ask for anything and everything and you'll get everything and anything. But you'll always get what's the best for you and what's good for you and what is God's purpose and plan in, his, in your life. And then there is the amen. The amen is not just an expression of agreement. It is an acknowledgement of the access that you have to God. You're going, yes, I can have access to God through Jesus Christ. It's an affirmation of the promises. Where you're looking at the promises and you're going, yes, they are all secure and sure in Jesus Christ. The way the Piper puts it is this. Amen doesn't primarily mean, yes, I have said all this prayer. It means primarily, yes, 
God has made all these promises. Amen means yes, you can do it. It means yes, Lord, you are powerful. Yes, Lord, you are wise. Yes, Lord, you are merciful. Amen is like an, ex- an exclamation mark of uh, uh, an exclamation mark at the end of prayer for help, or an exclamation uh, point of strong affirmation after a statement of God's greatness. To put it another way, I think it's this: that Amen is our yes to God for His yes to us in Christ Jesus. He says yes to us and we say amen. We are saying yes to him for all that he has given to us and done for us in Christ Jesus. So we're learning these lessons here about gospel, about gospel planning. We're seeing about gospel positivity. We're seeing about the gospel promises and seeing about gospel prayer. And it is my prayer that here in Bridge, you will see something of the power of the gospel at work continually in your own lives and in the lives of the other of others around you. As you plan to reach out to the community here, do so with the guidance of God's Spirit, being able to change and shift according to the needs around you and the circumstances about you. But always go with that gospel positivity, believing this is good news for the people of Coatbridge. This is great news about Jesus Christ. Go with confidence in the promises that God has made in Jesus. They are yea and amen in him. They are sure and certain, not just for you, but for the people you work with, the people you're in school with, the people you're living beside. All the promises, they are true for them as well. And go prayerfully. Go pray uh, to God constantly upon whom you and I are completely and utterly Dependent, but go praying positively, saying, yes, God, we know you can do it. One of the great encouragements I've had uh, today, and even over the past few weeks where I've been visiting other places, is seeing, as I said this morning, the transformation in people, in places, in congregations. And you're seeing what a great God, what a great gospel, what a great saviour we have. And to that we say, amen. We're going to sing uh, together uh, from...